on, can we give Jesus praise today for all that he's doing? God, we magnify you, Lord. Amen. Hey, before you seated, would you stay standing for one second? You know, I know we had a chance to talk about this today a little bit, but we are launching for the very first time. We have two preview services at our Mosley campus. Come on, everybody. Can you welcome Mosley right now? Man, first of so many things. And I know today what we'd like to do is we'd love to pray over this campus. And so if you feel comfortable in the lobby, online, even online in the room, if you see a camera near you, would you just reach your hands towards the camera? And we're going to be praying over all that God's about to do at Mosley. This is the first of many things to come. So let's pray. Come on, lift our voice together. Jesus, we thank you so much, God, that you're taking ground in Mosley. Lord, we pray right now, Father, for all those that are going to come to church for the very first time, for those who are going to come to church, God, that, that are seeking something, and they're going to find the living God in Mosley, God. We thank you for all the volunteers and everybody right now who's been working hard for a couple of months now preparing they're setting up today god we are so excited for the harvest to come we partner even with the scripture in, in zechariah that says don't despise small beginnings for the lord rejoices to see the work begin so we rejoice together god for all that you're about to do god we pray revival would begin in mosley god that people would turn their hearts towards you god we know this isn't just something we're doing by accident god you've seen this even before we started to step into it and so, God, we partner with you and for what you're going to do, for what is to come. Jesus, we love you. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus, and we all say amen. Amen. Come on, give somebody a high five as you're seated today. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, man, I'm so glad I get to sit next to you today. Come on. Of all the people, I get to sit next to you today. Man, church, I got to tell you, I woke up so excited to be with you today. And really, let me just pause to tell you this. When you think about all that we get to be a part of in our church, if you're brand new to the chapel, we welcome you. Come on, there's a huge group that's out in the lobby right now. I know people are watching online, and we got campus in Richmond. Now we're launching one in Mosley. Chapel in Espanol has been having such a great season right now. And I'll tell you, as a church, we never want to take for granted the things that God is doing and what we get to partner and be a part of. And I want you to know this, this is not us. This is, this is our leadership. This is the Lord. And, and I think it's so important to give honor. And I want to just honor our, our, our lead pastor, Pastor Brandon, just for a minute. And I want to tell you this. That's right. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a term. It's, a, it's kind of a funny term that we use around, uh, amongst pastors. I think it's an important one. Make sure you get a pastor around you that, that smells like it's sheep, right? I know it's kind of weird and different. I know it is, but, but I'll tell you, what that really means is, is, a, is a lead pastor that doesn't mind being with people. You know, sometimes that's not always the case, believe it or not. Sometimes pastors want to show up and just kind of slip out, but it's sometimes Pastor Brandon and Katie, the last people to leave the building on Sunday, they're here all day long through all the services. We'd have opportunity to do video in the evening, but we don't, and then he comes and preaches live. If you weren't here last week, you can feel it a little bit too. I mean, like even when he has the voice that maybe he's trying to push through, I mean, he's pushing through and... And I want you to know we have such a great uh, pastor that's not just a pastor of this congregation, but is also a friend, somebody who is so compassionate. So can we honor our pastor? So thankful for him. I get the privilege today to share. We're going to continue our series, week two of Daniel. And um, last week, Pastor Brandon got a chance to start off, and we looked into Daniel chapter one. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter two today. So if you want to turn to your Bible so that you can open up the YouVersion app, we have it on there. It's a verse-by-verse -verse study, so we want you to take notes on that because there's a lot of things in the Word of God that can stand out to us, things that the Holy Spirit will even illuminate to you. And the truth is this, we kicked it off last week that whether we recognize it or not, there are shifts taking place in the culture around us. How many know that? 
There's a shift away from the nuclear family. There's a shift away from the truth of God's word. And as a church, we have this opportunity to stand in the gap. We have this opportunity and this question really that I think Daniel arises for us is how do we live in and through the times that we are in right now? And so we're doing the study in the book of Daniel that really is the playbook of something that has already happened, but it's similar to what we're living in now and it gives us guidance on what to do. In fact, this is what I believe the word of God is for us. The word of God is, is the self-revelation of who God is. It's like a playbook. It's a manual. It doesn't just instruct us on how to live our life, but it tells us, hey, here's the things that are to come. And so the book of Daniel, actually, to set it up, um, before we step into Daniel and, and step into the, the season that the Israelites are in, they have been in a season where there have been these prophets that have been warning the nation of Israel. They were their own nation, living in the promised land, but they started to drift away from God. And I know this is a part of the message. Let me just say, sometimes when we drift away from God just a little bit, you know what happens? Our kids and their kids and their kids drift away from God even more. And so this is happening in the Israelites' life as they're disobedient to the Lord. They're setting up other idols. They're going against all the things their forefathers taught them. And they have these warnings. Listen, if you continue to live like this, the favor and the hand of God is going to be lifted off of you. And so that's what happened. And in comes um, this time that the nation of Israel were now in Babylon or Babylonian Empire, which is pretty much like today, modern-day Iraq. That's the location of where it would be. And for 70 years, they're in captivity. And Daniel tells you these incredible stories, how the Hebrew people endured a pagan, ungodly culture. And Daniel is such an amazing example because, listen, he never gave in. He never bowed to temptations. He never compromised anything that went against the Word of God. How many believe that we can live in the society we live in and still not turn away from what the Word of God says? Amen? This is what we see in the book of Daniel. You're going to learn so much about it throughout this entire series. Not only did he never bow, but also, listen, he had influence in that culture. And if I can say, what is the bullseye for this series or for this message is that we can be in the world and not of the world, but still have influence in the world around us. That we have the ability to impact the world around us. And let me tell you, this is something that gets me excited. This is something that puts hope in my heart is that I get to be a part of the answer to a world that is desperately seeking Answers to solutions. And let me tell you, I really believe this is what the mandate or the goal of the church is. And so what I want to do is I want to dive into chapter 2. But before we begin that, I want to recap a little bit of Daniel chapter 1. So take out your notepads. I want you to take some notes. I want you to look at the U version. We're going to jump in. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. And then we're going to roll. You guys ready to roll? Come on, let's do it. This is Daniel chapter 1. And it says, we talked about this last week. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his gods. And so pretty much this is what's happening right now. It's like they hijacked what we know today as the church, okay? And they took the holy things and they began to make those holy things Unholy. So this is what happened. The empire came and took over the nation of Israel, and they began to twist things and turn things around. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. And so pretty much a lot of the Israelites were forced to do manual labor. They were to be slaves. But they said, We want to take some of the most educated and, and wealthiest ones that we can, and we want to bring them into the Babylonian Empire. And here's what they did. They brought young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. 
and qualified to serve in the king's place. And here's what they did. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And I want to stop because I want us to understand this is a key part. They're going to teach them or really indoctrinate them into the culture of the day. And I want us to understand this is what we're seeing and is happening today in the times that we live in. There, there, there's this effort to indoctrinate people or maybe even in schools or in the news or online in different places into a language and a literature that goes directly against the things of God's word. And I want you to know as a church, we have the ability to stand up in Jesus' name. Amen? Come on, so we can stand up in Jesus' name. And as a church, we get to see all through Scripture that this is the mandate on the church, on those to stand up in the midst of culture. So they're brought in. And it continues to say that not only teaching them literature, the, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And listen, these are not Jewish people. And so they're, they're assigning these Hebrew boys to eat from the king's table, which was unkosher for them to do. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, and that was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So you learned some of the names last week. And really who it was, was it was Shadrach, it was Meshach, and it was Abednego. And last week we talked about the shifts of culture taking place in the book of Daniel. And today, what I want to do is I want to jump now into chapter 2. I want to tell you the story of the king's dream. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And I want to take from it three timeless truths that I believe will apply to the day that we're living. And even though this happened so many years ago, is something that applies to us today. So let's go to Daniel chapter 2. And it begins here in the second year of his reign. So the second year, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. And I want you to see this because the condition of the leadership throughout the entire chapter 2 is they end up in a troubled and a distressed state. And I want us to hear that and I want us to prepare for that. Because when things of the world do not work, we can step into that space. And I want you to know this is what's taking place. A kingdom or a government or a people that don't believe that there is a God, they're going to find themselves at some point in a place of trouble and distress. And so here's the king. He could not sleep. And so the king, he had this dream. He summoned the magicians, enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers. He summoned all the smartest people that he wanted to bring into his council and he, to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before him, the king said this to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And I love this because the king is a smart king, and he says, I'm not going to tell you the dream. Not only do I want you to interpret it, you need to tell me what the dream is that I had. And then I want you to interpret it. And I love this because I think it's so important that the king's saying, listen, if I just told you what my dream is, you could just tell me what I want to hear. But here's what I want to do. I want to tell you, you got to tell me what the dream is. And so they, they're pretty much there and they're realizing we can't do this. And so they respond. What the king asks, they say, is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. Listen, I want you to hear this. This right here is the sentiment of the world that we live in today. That there's all these problems and all these things that are happening around us and they don't understand that there's not an answer that they can gather because the answer that we need lies in Jesus Christ himself. And this is huge for us to recognize. So King Nebuchadnezzar is infuriated. He's like, none of you can tell me what my dream was. So he got so mad that he says, we're going to destroy all of the wise men. And so he gets this guy involved, this man named Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, he had gone out to put to death. He brought together all these men. He's getting ready to put them to death. And what does Daniel do? Check this out. Daniel steps in. 
And it says that he spoke to him with wisdom and with tact. Daniel sees this opportunity to step into this space of confusion and what would be death. And Daniel, what did he do? He spoke wisdom. He spoke knowledge. He spoke understanding because he had solutions. And check this out. He did it in a tactful way. He didn't do it in an offensive way. He didn't just say, hey, let me point out all the wrong things and the bad things and how you should do it differently. No, Daniel found an opportunity to step into this moment. And he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, just give me one night. I'm going to get before my God. I'm going to pray to him. He's going to reveal this to me. So Daniel gets back and he's with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, we got to pray. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And he said this. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and he changes seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I want you to understand, David came to this moment where he put his life on the line. He got before the Lord. He said, God, I need heavenly wisdom. I need heavenly direction. God gave it to him. He he got so excited. He got so hope-filled. He began to praise God, and he says this phrase at the end, that even though things are lying in darkness, he says there's a light that dwells within him. I want you to know that you have a light dwelling within you, and when you walk into dark places, things begin to change and shift. And I want to encourage that with us today because Daniel, even in a hopeless situation, he gets so excited. I mean, he's so fired up right now because he's like, I have an answer. And so he comes before the king. He continues to thank God and praise him. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. And you have made known to us the dream of the king. And so he goes before Nebuchadnezzar and the king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, no enchanter, no magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But listen, he says, there is a God in heaven. Come on, somebody say with me. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Here is Daniel standing before the king. And he's saying there is a God in heaven. I want us to know that we have a hope in this world that the world cannot offer to us. And the world cannot take away from us. And when we step into the gap, of chaos, and we step into the gap of confusion, and we say, God, I need insight. He gives insight. He begins to share with King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal to me this mystery. You were able to give it to me. And so Daniel sees this opportunity. He steps into this place, and I want you to know, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and Daniel interpreted it. And I I don't want to go through all the scriptures, but I want to share with you what this dream is. And Daniel pretty much says, here's what the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Daniel saw this statue, and it had a head of gold. It had a chest of arms and silver. It had a bronze belly and thigh. It had iron legs and a feet of clay. And at the end of the dream was this rock that smashed through it all. And then this rock grew up to be a huge mountain that covered the entire earth. It was a rock, a rock that could not be moved. And what Daniel was seeing was future empires leading up to the time of Jesus. 483 years leading up to Jesus, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. It was a prophetic dream. Daniel interprets this dream and the head of gold being really the Babylonian empire. 
and the chest of silver being the, the Medo-Persian Empire, the, the brass belly being the Greek Empire. He even describes Alexander the Great in later chapters. The iron legs with the Roman Empire, and then finally this rock was a rock that would never end. In fact, it would be a kingdom that would never be destroyed. And of course, that kingdom is Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years later, we're seeing him proceed and move forward. How many believe that Jesus is the rock that never fades? Amen. The one that never fails. It's this rock that's smashed through. And I love how he responds here. He says, I've already shared it with you, but he says, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery to me. And I want you to know there's a world that is desperately seeking answers that only can come from Jesus himself. And so today what I want to do is I want to remind you that, that God doesn't just see, okay, 48, uh, 483 years until Jesus' time. God is the Alpha. He is the Omega. Listen, he's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He knows the hair count on your head, every single detail of your life. Let me tell you right now, God is firm, and he's a God that is a rock that would never fade or fail. In fact, it even says, when you look in the book of Revelation, it even says, that before the foundations of the earth were set, before there was ever a problem of sin, before there was anything that we couldn't handle, he says that Jesus Christ was crucified. So before the foundations of the earth were set, before there was a, a problem, God already had a solution. And there's three things today that I want to gather that I believe is God saying to us. Here's the first thing that God's saying to us that he wants us to know. Is God wants us to know that he is at work and that he is in control. And so we can rest easy that God is wrapped up in the details of our life. And what separates people of faith from everybody else that is going through the same thing is that we walk in assurance that God is at work. And I don't know if that speaks to your current situation or what you're dealing with, or, or if maybe you've come in discouraged, you're feeling like, man, there's so many things. There's problems in my household right now, problems maybe taking place in my marriage or in my workplace or, or even in the world around us. And, and I feel like there's a lot of chaos and misunderstanding. Can I give you a verse that I'm standing on in the middle of everything that I face in my life and in the church? And it's in Job, and it says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he's going to stand on the earth. That my Redeemer lives, and no matter what takes place, he is in control, and he's a God that is at work. And I want you to know that God is always at work. God's not surprised about anything that's taken place in your life. He's not surprised about anything that's taken place in America or in this world. God is intentional, and when he does things, let me tell you, even when he is not doing things, he's intentional with that. In fact, I wrote it down like this. When God does something, he's doing it intentionally. But listen, when God doesn't do something... He's doing something. He's a God that's always at work in your circumstance in your life. And I know a lot of times that can be really hard because we're like, well, I know he's Alpha and I know he's Omega, but what about this thing in the middle? And what I'm walking in right now, what I'm facing, what about this thing in the middle? What's happening right now? In fact, I wrote it down like this. I believe that we will endure culture better when we have the confidence of knowing that he's got the whole world. Come on. In his hands, he's got the whole, where's my Baptist out of the room? In his hands. Come on, 1115, you finished the song today, that's amazing. Come on. But you know what, listen, it's not just a song, it's true. It's true. And if you came for anything else today, maybe that's the one thing you came for, was a Sunday school song that has so much truth in it. That God is in control. 
And he's always at work, even when we don't see it, even when we don't recognize it. So how do we endure culture? We know that he's got the whole world in his hands. How do we endure opposition? How do we endure obstacles? How do we endure when things don't work out our way? We got to know, man, God is in control. In fact, I think that there's, it's so important for us to always have mysteries in our life or the unknown. I know that's crazy to say, but, but the reason why I've, I've come to the stage in my life where like, I don't want to know everything is because it gives me a reason to trust and rely on God. Because if you knew all the answers, it, you, there would be no purpose to endure, would there? There'd be no purpose to trust and to lean on God. You know, I love how Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all of your ways, know him, and he's going to line it up, it says. He'll make your path straight. I love how Psalm 125 says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken and last forever. When we place our trust in the Lord, it's this firmness, this strength that's developed inside of us. It's this foundation that we can stand on. So when the storms of life come, when things don't work out our way, we can still stand tall and say, man, I put my trust in God. It continues to say that as the mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people now and forevermore. And I think that they go hand in hand. That when we trust the Lord and we, we're confident in his ability, it actually attracts the presence of God as the surrounding thing that surrounds us. And we get to feel the love, the embrace of the Father, even in times of uncertainty. So God wants us to recognize that he's in control and he's at work. Here's the second thing. God wants us to do, he wants us to speak life into the confusion of the world around us. And this is exactly what Daniel did. He jumped on the opportunity to speak life, to insert himself in such a way where he brought order into chaos, understanding into confusion. And he asked God for insight for it. In that moment, he, he could have just, he could have just, you know what, I'm not gonna get involved with any of this right now. But he stepped into a situation where he could have lost his life as well. And he said, hold on a second. Just give me one night. I'm going to gain insight. I'm going to gain wisdom from God. And he got before the Lord. In fact, this isn't in your notes, but James 1.5 says it this way. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Let me tell you something, church. When we ask, he gives us wisdom to speak into situations maybe that your friends are having right now. Maybe the people that you're doing life with, the people inside your own home, your workplaces. When you ask God, God, I need a fresh revelation of how I can minister to this person or even give me good divine insight right now of, of how I can I speak into this person's life, how I can pray for this person. God will show up and he will give that to you. And I really believe this. This is the role of the local church right now. That we get to speak into chaos. We get to speak into confusion. And let me tell you, it's not just for pastors and preachers. It is for all of us. We can have this, design, this divine understanding and insight from the Lord. We can speak it. We can share it with the world around us, and the world will be impacted by it. In fact, I believe that it is so important for us in church. If you don't know this, we're, we're a church that, that, that teaches God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe, we believe that there's God the Father, God the Son, and that there's God the Holy Spirit. And so we're big on understanding, man, we need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives every single day. Not just understanding and insight, but we, but we need more of the Holy Spirit. And so we're always saying, come on, come Holy Spirit, come. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit is, is not just there for fun. He's there for function, okay? He's not just there to give us heavenly goosebumps right in the middle of a service or, or when we're singing us. I mean, the Holy Spirit is there to give you wisdom and insight and how to speak into culture, how to speak to your kids, how to speak in relationships, how to walk into places that maybe you've never been before. And immediately God's going to give you insight on what to say and how to bring just, just 
order into chaotic situations. The Holy Spirit is available for every single person in this room. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the early church, it wasn't even until like six chapters into the early church that they started having disagreements and they're arguing and they're having all these kinds of things that were taking place in the early church time. And they step into this moment where they need help. And so it says here in Acts chapter six, it says, brothers and sisters, choose among you seven who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. Pretty much these individuals were chosen because there was so much chaos and disorder. And they said, hey, we don't need people that are just educated, that just know the right answer. We need people that are, what, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. People that are walking with the Lord. I want you to know there's something different about your life when you spend time with Jesus. And in Western culture, Christianity, let me just tell this to you, you can't get it all in just one service on a Sunday. This is a daily, continual walk with the Lord. You're opening up your word. You're putting yourself before him. It's not about the quantity of time. It's just about, it's about your quality of time. Maybe you're reading the same verse over and over again. Let me tell you, whenever you come to the word of God, even if it's the same passage, he's gonna reveal insights to you. He's gonna reveal understanding to you and the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. In fact, I wrote down like this. We will impact culture better when we are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. The culture around us will have an impact through us because not of our knowledge and understanding, but because of the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing that I believe is so true that God wants us to do. He wants us to embrace the times and the seasons that we're in. And I think this is a huge one for us, church. And what I mean is don't curse the darkness, bring the light. It means major on the majors of your faith. It means let people know what you stand for. Let them know who God is. It means when you walk into a room, man, what are you? You're going to come in and you're going to set the temperature or are you just going to report what the temperature is? You a thermostat or a thermometer? Really, that's the question that I believe the church has to ask themselves today. When I walk into a room, am I going to bring hope? Am I going to bring joy? Am I going to bring revelation? Am I going to bring insight? Or am I going to come in and start pointing my finger everywhere? Am I going to come in and just start pointing out all the things that are bad or all the things that are wrong? Listen, through the life of Daniel, this is the Bible. This isn't me just speaking my own thoughts on this. Through scripture, you begin to see men like Daniel that would step into culture with wisdom intact. And they would still accomplish the same thing that maybe we want to accomplish, but we do so much where we're coming in and we curse the darkness. And I believe this is so true of us that we need to make sure that we're in a place where our attitude is in the right place. But I know this. Sometimes you can get discouraged. Sometimes you can be overwhelmed with life. Sometimes you can be so focused on a thought or an idea, and it can start to just ruminate inside your mind, right? You ever been there before? Get in a place of self-talk, right? And you're saying some things to yourself, maybe about your circumstance, your situation, and you're developing a different narrative of what's happening, maybe in the world around us or in your life. I want you to know, even Jesus had a moment when he was on earth. See, he was fully God, but he was also fully man, he was in so much distress, and he had this, this, this human emotional moment, and it's here in John chapter 12. It's right before he goes to the cross, and Jesus says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Pretty much Jesus is at a place where his emotions are speaking. It's not the spirit part of him, and he's thinking, I'm about to get ready to have nails in my hands. I'm about to get beat badly, and he says to the Father, is there any way that you could take away this payment of sin from me? This distress that I'm in is just too much. It's too overwhelming. This is Jesus talking. 
And he gets into this moment of, 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 of self-talk. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I know that I've been there before. Where sometimes your situation doesn't mean your distress isn't a real thing, but it means you start to develop a narrative about your distress and you begin to exasperate it. Psychologists call it ruminating. You sit and sometimes you even gather people with you, right? And you're all gonna just kind of ruminate about the same thing, how bad all this stuff is happening around us, how bad my circumstance is. I even know sometimes on a Sunday morning or a Sunday all day, I could be here at church, have a great day at church, and I can get home, sit on my couch, and I can just start to think like, man, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did this. And you know what? I've been there before, and I know what that's like. And if you've never been in that place, then, then I'll tell you, it's a, it's a real place, and it can be a dangerous place. And here's what Jesus does. He's in that moment, and, in, and Jesus says, what am I going to say to myself when my soul is troubled? And what does he say? Look what he does. He switches the narrative as he's going to the cross, and he says this. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. In fact, even in Hebrews 12, Jesus says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He began to flip the narrative. And I want us to know that Jesus recognized in this moment, man, I was made for this. In fact, I wrote it like this. We will embrace our role in culture better when we realize we were made for this. That God has literally placed you in the season of life that you're in, in the family and the home that you live in. In the places that you work, he's done this all on purpose with great purpose. None of it has been done by accident. He even talks about it in the New Testament that, that before the, the time was even developed, God literally said, I'm going to place people in certain seasons at certain times. So for me, he's going to place Joel in Richmond in this decade at this time so that he can make this kind of impact. I want you to know if you've ever walked into this room before and you felt like your life is insignificant, I want you to know right now and just shatter that lie. That is not true at all. God has great purpose for your life. He's got great meaning for your life. He's going to use your life in such a powerful way. And it's not just for you, but it's the people that you do life with every single day. That you get to walk into dark places. You get to walk into moments where attitudes are down and bad and there's so much chaos and there's so much confusion. You get to walk in those places and you get to be salt and you get to be a light to an earth and a world that is desperately in need of it. And I'll tell you this right now, more than ever, I think people are more ready to be evangelized to. I think people are more ready than ever before to receive hope, to get a message from Jesus that will come from you. In fact, I truly believe this. I believe that there's a lot of things that God wants to say to you in your life that he wants to say to people in their lives around us, and he won't do it until we get close to people because he's going to say it through somebody else. God will use you to speak to others. So through all the, the whole book of Daniel, you'll begin to see even later on as we get into different chapters. I'm so pumped and excited for, ne for next week. I know what the, the, the chapter is going to be on. And, but all throughout the chapters, you begin to see that Daniel is about times and seasons and things changing and things shifting. And so before we close today, I wanted to leave you really with what I think are the three seasons that we're living in right now on earth. So here's the first one. And that is that I believe we're living in a season of hostility right now. And we know this. This is not news to us. But this is also promised to us by our Savior. He even said, they will hate you because of me. You'll be despised and rejected. And the early church endured great persecution of what we've not even come close to. Think about Paul. He had this attitude when he was in jail. He was writing these letters to the early church, and he's locked up in prison. A lot of times I read the New Testament, and I tell myself, Joel, stop whining. When was the last time you were flogged, right? Last time you were like tied up and thrown into prison for something you believed and something you really were declaring. No, Paul was writing. 
He's saying rejoice to the, in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You may not know this. He's writing that in chains. He's declaring the truth of God's gospel. You know, people wanted to kill him time and time again. And they'd come after him and say, if you don't stop preaching the gospel, we're going to kill you. He goes, that's fine. You know what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, what do you do with a guy like that, right? What do you do with a person that walks around with that kind of hope that says, listen, heaven, not earth, is my home. That I, that I was made for this moment, that there's more to this world than this world and what's going on. And that in the end, my redeemer lives and my redemption is drawing near. I think it's so true for us. In fact, Jesus even talks about this and he says there's going to be times where brother's going to betray brother in the end days. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. There's going to be wars. And he says this in Luke 21. He goes, but listen, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Lift up your heads, he says. And you know, in this world, Jesus said it himself, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be things that are not going to work out your way. There's going to be moments and times and seasons where you're not going to have all the answers that you need. He, but he says this, listen, take heart for I have overcome the world. If you've walked in here feeling like you've been lacking courage, you've been lacking confidence, Jesus says, take heart for I'm the rock that's going to overtake the earth and I'm the kingdom that will never fail, that will never fade. I'm the kingdom that will outlast any empire. I am the kingdom that at the end, I'm going to stand on the earth. This is the God that we serve. And he says to us, even in a season of hostility, he says, I am right there with you. Here's a second season I believe that we're in, and I would call it the season of harvest. We're in a season of harvest, and there's not enough time to read the scripture, but, but in, in Jesus, when he's talking about the end times and the last days, he says things like many are gonna turn away from the faith. There's gonna be false prophets. Many people are gonna be deceived, he says. The love of most, he said, will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, check this out, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then he says the end will come. Pretty much he's saying there's going to be a lot of bad things that are going to continue to get bad. And at the same time, the gospel is going to be preached at a high level. And I want you to know that is what's happening right now. You're a part of a church that's doing that. God is advancing his kingdom. We're seeing people come to know Jesus. We're seeing people get baptized. We're, we're, we're launching another campus. And let me tell you, it's not about us. It's not about the chapel. It's about what God is doing on the earth. And so before we close, I wanted to report some stats to you. Can I report some good news to you guys today? Can I do that? And I think this is true, and I think a lot of Christians don't realize what's happening on the earth. And check this out. Here's the conversion growth. This is a study that came from Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, just recently released. In the last 23 years, about a billion people have come to know Jesus. How amazing is that? A billion people. And I know some people might say, man, I don't really, I don't see that in America. Well, America is one of 17 countries right now where the population is growing faster than the gospel can reach. But let me tell you, that's not the case in Africa, because in Africa in the last 23 years, listen, Christians have almost doubled the amount of Christians that are in the country of Africa. Africa. Continent. And you think about this too, when you really look at it, there's more Christians, I think, that are living in Africa than there are people in the United States right now. Listen, this is also happening in Asia right now. I mean, it's doubled. If you've heard anything about the underground church, I mean, it's remarkable in a, in, in a place where there's so much persecution and you're not even really proclaiming the name of Jesus. People are coming to know Jesus in droves. People are having dreams about Jesus without even going to church and they're getting saved in their own households. This is incredible what's taking place in all the earth. And I love this one right here. It's actually about Bibles being printed. 
In 2000, the number of Bibles printed every year was 54 million. But check this out. Today, in 2023, every year, 95 million Bibles are being printed. Come on. It's a season of harvest. And I know it's hard. And I know there's a grind. And I know there's a lot of things that we got to endure and we got to push through. And man, answers to questions we're still trying to figure out. But I want you to know you are in a season of harvest right now. And God is doing some incredible things. And here's the last one that I believe we're in. I think this is so important, and that is that we are in a season of holiness right now. We're in a season where people are returning back to God. We're in a season where people are saying, you know what, I've had one foot in and one foot out of the church, and I think this is a season for us where we actually have to make a decision. Because if we don't make a decision, a decision is going to be made for us by somebody else. It's a season and a time for us where we have to step and we have to say, you know what, I haven't really surrendered everything to God but I know that I need to give it all up. I know I've been holding on to a few things, but I'm ready to surrender all to Jesus. And holiness isn't about being perfect. Holiness is about just giving it all to God and reminding ourselves that we're actually holy because he has made us holy. And it's not because of anything we've done. It's not a thing about acts, but it's a thing about saying, God, there's these things in my life I've held on to, and I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm letting them go. And this is the season I believe that the church is in right now. It's a season to say, stop, stop living in the gray areas. Stop being a lukewarm Christian. And I want you to step into the deep end of all that God has for you. And so every week you hear our pastor, he'll always talk and he'll say, hey, if you want to give your life to Jesus, and it's so incredible at all of our locations online, people are raising their hands, they're giving their life to Christ, they're rededicating their life to Christ. And I think this is a part of the harvest of what God is doing today. So would you bow your heads as we close today? I love to pray over you. I think that we can make a decision right now, no matter if it's a decision of salvation or if it's a decision of, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus, or you know what, I've been really living on the sidelines, I've been living lukewarm, one foot in, one foot out, but I know that it's time for me to step into culture, to step into the seasons of life that God's placed me in. I want to pray this with you, and if you want to pray this prayer in your heart, you could do that as well, and, and we'll just pray this, God, I've decided to follow you, Jesus. I've decided to go all in with you. I've decided to surrender everything to you. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thank you for being the one that gives me life. Thank you, God, that you are the one who leads me, who directs me. You're the way, you're the truth, you're the life, and no one comes to you. God, I repent of my sins. I repent of my wrongdoings, of my way of living. God, I turn to your way of living, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for me and you rose again to give me new life. And Father, today I choose not just to attend and sit in the pews, but today I choose to step out into the world, being the hands and the feet of Jesus, recognizing that greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And today, Lord God, we declare, Father, that we will walk with our heads held high. We will walk leaving this place, God, hope-filled, recognizing and knowing that you are the rock that is overtaking the earth. You're the kingdom that will never fade, never fail. And in the end, Jesus, you will stand on top of it all, God. We love you. Praise in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God glory for all that he's doing? He's a God that's in control. God that's with us. Would you stand with me in the lobby in the room today? Where I'm going to give you a benediction. Our band's going to sing us out as we go. Man, we're in an incredible series. Listen, I want to encourage you. Read the book of Daniel. Come next week. I cannot wait for the message. Last week was an incredible one. But would you lift your hands? I just want to give you a benediction as you leave today. We receive all the things that God has spoken into us. God, I pray that you would go with us, Lord. 
Lord, may we recognize you're a God that can do exceedingly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Jesus, you're the lifter of our heads, the lifter of our faith, Father. We love you. In the strong name of Jesus, we leave this place today and we say amen, amen, amen. Hey, be blessed today. Say hi to someone on your way out. We'll see you next week.